Pastor Xavier Reese says there's more to life than just satisfying the flesh. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for the great blessed hope? I tell you, I'm ready. But you know what? He'll be right on time. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The key vow in marriage is, till death do us part. But for those in the church, death is just the beginning of an eternal marriage relationship. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to his study in the book of Revelation and points out why it's important for us to remain faithful to our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. The message is entitled, Jesus is Coming for His Bride. Three things will reveal to us the imminent return of Christ for His bride before the seven-year tribulation. We want to look at these. First, the promises of Jesus. Second, the parabolic teaching of Jesus. And then thirdly, the prophetic teaching about Jesus. The promises of Jesus. First of all, he promises disciples, as you know, for his return. In John 14, 1 through 3 is the first mention of the rapture. He says, if you believe in God, believe also in me. What did he tell them? Stop being afraid. <laughs> he was leaving. I go to prepare a place for you where I am there, you may be also. If it were not so, I would have told you. I will come back to receive you to myself. The promises made by Jesus to his disciples. He comes back to receive them to himself. You must make that distinction. When the church comes back with Jesus, we come back in chapter 19 to set up the kingdom. We come back with him, 2 Thessalonians. When Jesus comes for his church, he comes for us. That's 1 Thessalonians. Receive us to himself. There's a distinction. You must make that distinction. Jesus promised the Jewish nation that he would return again also. You remember as he rode into Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37 to 39, and he wept over Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, you who kills the prophets, how often I wanted to gather you as a chick had gathers her chicks under her wings, a hen. But you would not. So now I leave to you desolate. And you shall not see me henceforth till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He pronounced devastation over the house of Israel. He declared that they would accept him in the future, in the second coming. You remember the brothers of Joseph? They went to Egypt for food. Did they recognize him the first time? When they recognized him. When he revealed himself the second time. Whoa. Coincidence? I don't think so. After the opening here of the first four seals, we get the response there in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 6. And these men, the kings of the earth, the men, the rich men, and all of them, the freemen, all of them, it says, And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. What? Wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of wrath has come, and who is able to stand? It's a day of wrath, the day of judgment. It's not the age of grace. There's a distinction. This is the day of the Lord. They have gloom. They have darkness. Anguish. You cannot confuse it. The church received them. He will receive his church to himself under the age of grace. The nation of Israel rejected him in his first coming. They will accept him in his second coming. After the period of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30 verse 7. The world hated Jesus 
at his first coming. The world will hate Jesus at his second coming as he comes to set up the kingdom. Only the church is saved. <laughs> the others are lost. Now, the parabolic teaching of Jesus is another aspect that allows us to see the imminent return of Christ. Now, I'm going to give you three parables, and they deal really with the Jews and Israel, not for the church in their context. Yet the principle, listen to me well, the principle is eminence that's taught in these, and it's also taught in the rapture of the church, because both the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ, listen, are said to be a thief in the night. A thief in the night, you never know when he's coming. You understand? And both of them are said to be as a thief in the night. So the principle of eminence is found in both. The rapture and the second coming. The parable of the faithful and evil servant, as you know, in Matthew 24, from verse 45 to 51, the eminence of the master's return. In verse 45 and 46, the faithful servant was doing his master's business. And then the evil servant said in his heart, in verse 48, my master is delaying his coming. That's a bad way to go. And so in verse 50, it says the master's return was eminent. At an hour, he was not aware. Uh-oh. Eminence. In chapter 25 of Matthew, verse 1 through 13, you have the parable of the ten virgins. As you're very familiar with that. It's centered on being ready in the imminent coming of the bridegroom for his bride, with his bride, to set up the kingdom. Okay? Matthew 24, 25 is Jewish ground. Keep that in mind. The five foolish virgins had oil in verse 3. Or the reverse, either one. Five had and five didn't. Five were foolish, five were wise. Okay? Now, the bridegroom came, it says... At midnight, and those who were ready went into the wedding, and the door was shut. Not ready. There's a lot of people that go to church, but they're not ready. There's a lot of people who say they're Christians, but they're not ready. Am I talking about doing works, deserving it? No, 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 no. I'm talking about being born again by the grace of God and walking with God. In the same chapter, Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30, you have the parable of the talents that center on accountability and reward. And again, the principle is eminent, the return of the traveling man from a far country. The servants were all given responsible duties according to their abilities, so there was no unfairness in verse 15. The man did return after a long time, verse 19 tells us. The servants were rewarded for their wise, faithful stewardship. Listen to the words of verse 21 and 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Very personal. On the flip side, you have the wicked and lazy servant who buried his talent in the ground. And he said this. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you know that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Verse 25 and 26. You have the faithful servant, you have the lazy, evil servant. One was ready, one was busy about his father's business, the other one was not. The key verses and words of these three parables, just three, 
center on a certain imminent return. Let me give you some key words. Delaying. Will come. Not looking. Not aware. Who were ready. Watch. Know neither the day nor the hour. After a long time, the Lord came. Those are the key words of those parables. That's the focus of the parable. He's coming. And if you don't know the Lord, you'll be left behind. But thirdly, the prophetic teaching about Jesus also teaches the eminence of coming for his bride before the tribulation, great tribulation. Paul speaking to the Corinthians, as you know, the first chapter, verse 7, he says the Corinthians were to be eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Eagerly. You're going to go on vacation with somebody. You've been planning, packing, ready. You call them and say, okay, we're on our way. We'll be there 20 minutes. And you know the kids of the other house are like this. They're, they're, they're just looking. Are you like that about the Lord's coming? Eagerly. With your neck stretched out, as Romans 8 says. The Thessalonians turn from idols to serve the living God and waiting for him. Listen, from heaven. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10. Waiting for him from heaven. Pretty heavy. The Thessalonians were told by Paul the day of the Lord would come as a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. He's coming for his bride. The prophetic teaching of Jesus describes, or about Jesus, describes the believer as being caught up. You know this. We've already mentioned John 14, 1 through 3. And the other one that goes hand in hand with that is 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. Where Paul says we will be caught up to the clouds and be with the Lord in the air and all our loved ones who have gone before us if they're Christians. Okay? Now, the word there caught up is the word harpazo, which means to cease or to claim for oneself, snatch up violently, suddenly. And it appears 13 times, 13 times in the New Testament. Many people say, well, the word rapture doesn't appear in the New Testament. That's right. You know why? Because the word rapture comes from the Latin word, the Latin vulgate, rapiri, the counterpart of the word apostle. And the definition to snatch up violently, suddenly. And every time it appears, it has that sudden violent removal and a translation of one location to the other. Remember when Philip was in the desert called by Jesus to go minister to the Ethiopian eunuch? In Acts 8, 39-40, he went down and baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, it says, And the Spirit harpazoed Philip to Azotus, violently, from the desert to Azotus, the city. Wow. Matthew 13, 9, the parable of the sower we've been talking about. The sower sowed seed, and some fell by the wayside, hard ground, and the birds of the air came and, zoom, harpazoed from the earth to the sky in their mouth. Harpazoed. Let me give you one more. Revelation 12, 5, we'll get there. The woman's child, Jesus, Messiah, was harpazoed to God. Every time the word harpazo appears, it is violent, sudden removal with a translation from one location to the other. Amazing. The prophetic teaching about Jesus deliberately gives us the signs to watch for. Let me give you some, okay? The likeness of the days of Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah. Hello? A move to world unity, ecumenicalism. That's what the whole PC language is doing and, and has been doing through education for the last 30 years. 
Let's not make waves. Don't make judgments. Don't be critical. Just flow with it. Let's be one. The coming ten-nation confederacy to be ruled under one world ruler, the common market in Europe, is there, ready for a man to step in. A time of godliness, wickedness. Listen, the chief characteristics, lack of family love. Look at the lack of family love. Not only in our nation, it's, not, it's worldwide. The return of the Jew to the land as a nation, again. 1948, Israel became a nation for the third time. Science to look for. Before these, it couldn't happen. So we're close. The prophetic teaching about Jesus dogmatically tells us the day of the first coming and the second coming of Jesus to the earth to set up the kingdom. But the inability to know when he comes for his bride. Now listen to me carefully. I don't want you walking out of here and telling people that I'm teaching that I know the day he's coming for the church. I don't know that day. But the scriptures do tell us about the day of the first coming and the second coming. And I'm going to give them to you in scripture. But there are some conditions to that. Daniel tells us, remember Daniel 24 through 26? He tells us of the day of the first coming of Jesus in the 69 weeks of Daniel. 483 years to the day from the command of Artaxerxes gave to Nehemiah to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. March 14, 445 B.C., and Sir Robert Anderson, in the book, his book, The Coming Prince, documents in incredible accuracy through the calendars of the ages. The year was predicted on a 360-day calendar, which, by the way, is the Genesis calendar. Go back and read Genesis. It's not 365. It's 360. That works out, from that date, works out to 173,880 days. If you take March 14, 445 B.C. and project forth 173,880 days, you arrive at the 6th of April, 32 A.D., as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, Matthew 21. Now, what are the chances of that just happening? They knew exactly the day. That's why Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kills the prophets, if you would have known this, your day, the things that were prepared for you, but now they're hidden from your eyes, Luke 21, or Luke 19, 41 through 42. I give to you desolate. They missed their Messiah. They had the date. Daniel again tells us the day of the second coming. From the setting up the abomination that causes desolation, 1,290 days, Daniel 12, 11 tells us. Now, Jesus gave the same thing in Matthew 24, 15. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, he's quoting Daniel 12, 11, flee to the wilderness. Who's he talking to? 24, Matthew 24, the Jews. Church won't be there. Paul says the Antichrist will declare himself God in the temple. Remember? He's going to rebuild it. Revelation 11, verse 1 and 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. He walks in the temple, declares himself God. Right in the middle of the tribulation. Daniel 9, 27. In the middle of the week, he breaks the covenant. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, flee to the wilderness. In the middle of the tribulation, he says, I'm God. Everybody worship me. He gives the mark of the beast on the right hand or the forehead. The church will come back with Jesus at the end of the seven years, 2 Thessalonians 1.10, to set up the kingdom and in judgment. Those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation, Hebrews 20, 
28 says. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then we shall appear with him in what? In glory. Colossians 3, 4. The church accompanies Jesus to set up the kingdom. Read Revelation 19. He comes on a white horse. We come with him. The day of the rapture of the church, no one knows. But it occurs simultaneously with the beginning of the tribulation, which is the beginning of the day of the Lord. So in other words, the minute, if the rapture happened right now, the day of the Lord would begin. The tribulation began. The man of sin would appear in the white horse, the bow, and no arrows. And we're with Christ as the tribulation is going through, and we come back at the seven years at the end to set up the kingdom. That's what the Bible teaches. Many people will say many things, but you have to be a good Berean and check the scriptures. Don't let people teach you something that destroys what you know is foundational and truth and clear. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, the rapture, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ has come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 3. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, listen, you dummies, I told you when I was there, what is the matter with you? That can't happen unless we're removed and the man of sin appears. You're still here. Where's the man? <laughs> hmm. Not by spirit meaning somebody prophesied, not by letter and not by teaching. Stick to what you know. It's called the blessed hope in Titus 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for the great blessed hope? Mm. I tell you, I'm ready. The longer I live here, the less I belong here. And the more I want to get out of here. But you know what? He'll be right on time. He's not going to come a day earlier for me. <laughs> Weigh out the important doctrines. Those which cannot be compromised. Those that are essential for salvation, for holy living. And those that aren't. There's some things that are not, is not worth fighting over. You know what I mean? Like parents. There's some things with your kids. Be graceful. Be open. They're not worth fighting over. But there's some things that we don't budge as parents. When it comes to dress, the color of their hair, orange, pink, stripe it, whatever, it'll grow. It'll be cut. It'll change. Clothes and fashions, one. But you want to start marking your body and putting holes in your body. What for? Are you a Christian or not? <laughs> now, if you're all tagged out and you've got a thousand piercings in you and you come to Christ, hey, I love you. You're my brother. I'll accept you. But if you do that after Christ, pray tell. Why? You think Jesus is going to be impressed with you when he raises you up like that? Oh, hey, those are some sharp-looking earrings, man. <laughs> Dude, where'd you get that? Hmm. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia to remain in Ephesus, 
that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, 1 Timothy 1.13. Xavier, why are you so adamant? Why are you so, so narrow? Because that's what Jesus is. I want to make sure that I come across with love and compassion. But I never want to come across permissive, ever. I cannot go broader and wider than Jesus does in the scriptures. Take heed to yourselves and to the doctrine, continuing them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you, 1 Timothy 4.16. That means you live out what you teach and preach. They're one. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, healthy doctrine, it says, literally. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned away to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. Listen to Paul. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the work of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness, not in lust, not in strife or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Romans 13, 12 through 14. You say, yeah, amen. Just a minute. Gossip, backbiting, murmuring, that's the same. Those things destroy the church more than what I just read right now, okay? How are you doing on gossip? Murmuring. Slander. Self-righteousness. Hmm. Peter says, the end of all things at hand. Therefore, be serious, watchful in your prayers. 1 Peter 4, 7. Make sure you stick to the scriptures. The prophetic teaching about Jesus is based on the promises of Jesus and will be fulfilled as this parabolic teaching declares. And so these three things reveal the imminent return of Christ for his bride before the seven-year tribulation and great tribulation, just exactly as the book of Revelation teaches. The promises of Jesus promises return at any moment that you might escape the wrath to come. Listen to Luke 21, 36, and it's the only gospel that says this because it's written to the Gentiles. Listen to him. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. The only gospel that says that. Why? It's written to the Gentile. The parabolic teaching of Jesus teaches that no man knows that they are the hour of the catching up of the saints, the rapture. Jesus said, in such a time as you think, not the Son of Man comes. Matthew 24, 44. And that's in principle because he's talking about the second coming. They're both a thief in the night. The prophetic teaching about Jesus agrees by distinguishing between the church, Israel, and the unbelieving world. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 Maranatha the Lord is coming that's what Paul says are you ready? are you looking for him? I hope so you're his bride man I've done many weddings I've never seen a bride drug up or someone convincing her as the doors open come on go ahead do it go up they're beaming 
They've waited for this day. They've kept themselves. They've been counting the days. They've been looking at the calendar. Oh, man. Don't miss that day. He's coming. Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us to remain faithful for that special day. Now, you can request a copy of today's uplifting message, Jesus is Coming for His Bride, and you can pick up a copy for just $4 on CD. And this message also contains what Pastor Xavier talked about the last time we were together. So that title, once again, is Jesus is Coming for His Bride. You can contact us by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. No Hollywood movie can compete with what's going to occur during the last days. Find out more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese. That's right here on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com